Welcome to V.02 at Conversation Pace. My name is Brian Rossetti. I'm the founder of V.02, a coaching platform for runners of all levels. Our podcast brings you the stories behind athletes and coaches who made a mark in the sport of running. We cover the circumstances, timing, and situations that led them on this journey. Discover the keys to their success, what inspired them along the way, and gain insights into the minds of these exceptional individuals. Today, our guest is Blake Dirksen. Blake is a licensed physical therapist at Bespoke Treatments in NYC. He's also a VDOT coach and athlete at NYAC. I've had a chance to work closely with Blake in New York City over the past year, and I love referring athletes to him. I think you'll see why pretty quickly in this episode. We talk a lot about how he's adapting his approach as a PT in the age of coronavirus, but also how a PT can be effective in a remote capacity. He's been a big proponent of digital health, even prior to living through a pandemic. We also talk about what athletes can be doing at home in regards to prehab, how to incorporate strength in your routine, and why the concept of load management is the centerpiece of his approach. I hope you find this conversation useful in your running. Here's the episode with Blake. Yo, Blake. Hey, what's happening? How's this thing? You sound amazing. Do I? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, let me try. Oh, this is it, huh? Okay, so I'm new to this anchor thing. Okay. You connected? Are you? Is your phone connected to Wi-Fi? Yes. Yep. Okay. I'm on. I'm on the Wi-Fi. Um. <laughs> so we we live elsewhere or no? Not not at the moment. We're trying it. Um. So yeah, Instagram Live Bespoke is on right now, um, and you're on speakerphone right now. So as long as I sound good to you, uh, we'll keep yeah. going. Um, and then oh. they're oh. they're gonna hear audio, and what they're looking at right now is uh, Dave Waddle winning the uh, the Miracle Mile 1972, and um, a little picture of uh, nice. Bespoke. So um, we got a got a good setup. I saw Dave Waddle. I mean, he he goes around social media like crazy these days. Um, but but yeah, I see I see the eight hundred, you know, the the Olympic race all the time. Um, but I saw some like non runners sharing it, which was interesting. I think it was just like people are so just like looking for like something that's uplifting, I guess. <laughs> at this moment you know check out this race this guy was great he did a great job like brian did you see this race for like yeah it was awesome awesome um the hat really everything yeah it's just incredible i love watching it don't get me wrong um but it's i just thought it was funny that some non-runners it's at the point now where non-runners are sharing it and yeah. are inspired by it so that's pretty cool totally yeah um so shit the world went upside down how you how you doing yeah doing well um hunkering down in the apartment um i just moved in so it's a good opportunity to kind of organize stuff um and focus on some of the nuts and bolts stuff for work um tie up some of those loose ends and then try and to adapt to what we're doing the environment that we're in now yeah, so talk a little bit about um, how are you how are you guys handling it? How are you trying to adapt? Um, I mean, I'm I've been on Anchor, I've been on Zoom. I feel like uh, we're really stressing the, the the interwebs at the moment. Um, yeah. So how are you guys? How are you guys managing? Yeah. So like immediate short term, we're trying to maintain contact with our patients as much as we can. Um, tools like Zoom and we're actually utilizing GoToMeeting um, kind of as the main thing. Uh, I think some of the guys have been using um, Google Hangouts. Both of those are HIPAA compliant. So it's, it's a pretty easy transition there. Um, nice. And, you know, trying to maintain that, that care. Uh, as much as we can right now, but then also sort of start to build out, okay, this is going to be going on for the next month or so. Um, but I think we're also seeing opportunity in, in this digital space um, for the future as well. And so while we're all kind of in this environment together of you know, not being able to physically practice, let's kind of dive into this and, and figure out how we can um, bring our services to as many people as possible. I've always sort of been a, 
a champion of the uh, the telehealth and the digital health kind of space. Um, I think you yeah. can you can see a lot more people. You know, um, you can make things more accessible. You can you know, spread knowledge um, a lot a, a lot further uh, through digital means. Um, and so now is our sort of sort of our time to demonstrate that and and kind of play guess and check and figure out how that's going to look uh, now and, and into the future. And so at the moment, Blake, it's, it's existing um, clientele, um, but you guys may get into assessment um, digitally or, or remotely, I should say. Yeah, no, that's huge. I mean, I think, uh, I think PT is like optimally suited to be the, like the go-to musculoskeletal provider. You know, if something hurts, the first thing that someone thinks of should be a physical therapist. Um, every state in the country has what's called direct access. Um, each state's a little bit different in the wording and what that means, but in New York, um, and this is pretty standard, where they get um, either 10 visits or up to 30 days without having to need a physician's referral. Um, and so that means that anyone off the street um, can come and see a physician without a, without seeing a physician first or any, any other type of doctor without a prescription. Um, to get that assessment, to get that evaluation. Um, and I think it's like, it, it's a perfectly reasonable law, you know, like if, if, if I'm seeing someone for 10 sessions and I haven't figured out what's going on, I'm probably going to refer them to a doctor, uh, probably would have done that sooner, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's, uh, everybody has that, that ability to practice um, as a direct access provider. Um, so telehealth just kind of makes sense or, or being that point of contact makes sense because we're always, we're always um, assessing and referring if necessary, right? So people are always coming in and saying this hurts, that hurts. And as a PT, you, you know what's normal and what's not normal and what's appropriate for PT and what's not. And um, we're sort of at that position to be able to, to refer to a specialist, whether it's musculoskeletal or maybe it's like a neuro or cardiovascular issue, um, something that they might not have thought of, something that we can pick up through a detailed history. Yeah, I mean, I... I appreciate um, just some of the back and forth that I've seen with some of my athletes who have connected with you to work through issues they're going through. Um, so I've certainly learned a lot, but I, I appreciate your ability to kind of um, help navigate remotely and, and keep them moving forward. Um, so you're, I mean, what are some of the things that you're looking for when, when you're not able to see these patients, but you're communicating um, by email or just, you know, remotely in general. Um, what are the, some of the things, if, if someone is working through an injury, is it just as simple sometimes as, as a pain scale? Um, and, and so what are some of the things that you guys are doing? Yeah. Um, so I think like the biggest thing with, in a PT session, whether you're with the person or not is, that ability to listen to the person and, and take a really good interview and, and subjective assessment, um, hear what their beliefs are, hear what they think is causing their injury, um, hear you know what sort of injuries they've had in the past. Um, you're you're working with an individual that has had like a lifelong worth of experience, um, and so conversation and, and opening that dialogue at the forefront is like the, the very biggest thing that you can do. And that's replicated on each follow-up, maybe to an abbreviated degree. Um, but you're always checking in. You're always, I, I view physical therapists as a guide. You know, you're, you're guiding someone through a plan of care. You are using your past experience um, and, and the knowledge that you have uh, from schooling and from all the other cases that you've accumulated uh, to sort of guide them through this rehab program. Um, so I think like traditionally PT has been thought of as, you know, we're fixers, you know, if something hurts, we're going to fix it. We're going to throw our hands on you and make you feel better and, you know, rub this muscle out. Um, oftentimes it's, it's not the case. It's usually like a, just a really well-rounded strength and conditioning, possibly mo mobility program uh, that is, that's needed and just really good foundational education uh, to support that. And so a lot of what we do is like, you know, um, making the client, become the champion of their own um, rehab program. And that happens, it happens really effectively in person. Like, don't get me wrong, like in, in person is um, like, you're gonna get a lot out of an in-person session with us. You're gonna learn how to do stuff. You're gonna learn how to exercise appropriately. Um, and having someone in the gym, there's like, there's nothing like it. Cause you're, you're in the gym and you're always kind of um, 
you're, you're assessing, you're progressing, you're regressing, you're fitting the exercises to create that specific adaptation to that person. And so you have this sort of template in mind um, that you might want to do, um, but it's always changing. And you, and you can replicate that on a digital session, right? So if someone has a basic ability to load their body using bands or using free weights, uh, even like kettlebells, dumbbells, um, body weight, um, generally there's a, there's a way that we can load a tissue uh, in order to pr produce a, the right adaptation. Um, sometimes you'll be, you'll, you'll need some of those heavier weights to elicit bigger strength gains or bigger power gains. But, um, you know, if, if there's, if there's the right person sitting in front of you on the other side of a, of a teleconferencing screen, um, most, most times you'll be able to do that same sort of guidance and education that you'd be doing in person and, and through, through telehealth. Um, it's not going to fit everyone. Um, there are specific cases that, that just won't fit with the telehealth model. Um, and th those are, that's, that's kind of why we need to have that discussion at the beginning, that, that consult. Um, we're doing a lot of free consults right now where we're just getting people on the phone, um, getting them to kind of understand what we're doing, what it looks like, what to expect. Um, and if it doesn't fit um, either with their belief system or if they're just not a good fit for PT in general, then, then we'll refer them out. Um, but we're all sort of in this unique environment with, um, you know, COVID-19 right now where there's really not many other options. Um, and so just getting someone on the phone and, you know, having a discovery session and talking about, you know, listening to them, understanding what their problem is and, and, and actively listening to them, repeating what they said and, um, and kind of creating a plan right there saying this would be helpful, this would be helpful sort of starts to lower those barriers a little bit and starts to get them to understand that it's a, it's a viable option. What was one of the, there was one app or platform you mentioned that I never heard of. You said um, that you guys are using now to, to help. Yeah, um, GoToMeeting is one. GoToMeeting, yeah. Yep. yeah. I'm not Same familiar with it. How does um, it really like the barrier to do all this has been really very low. The technology's existed for a long time. Um, so it's, it's just like zoom. Um, you, you put an appointment. Got it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Same thing. Okay, cool. And what's your percentage? Um, how much, how much, uh, what's the percentage breakdown in terms of your, your clientele and in terms of runners, how many runners are you guys working with or you specifically, I should say? Yeah, generally they find their way towards me. Um, but depending on time of day, uh, or, you know, schedules or, you know, uh, all of our therapists are, are great at working with all types of athlete, but, um, I'd say probably 30% of my clientele is, uh, is runners. And I don't okay. think I'd want it to be like, I don't think I'd want it to be the majority, you know, or like, I wouldn't want it to be over 70%. Um, I like working with all sorts of different, uh, pathologies, uh, injuries. It kind of keeps me on my toes. Um, I get, I get, uh, reps of doing everything and, and I kind of learn and am able to, uh, take what I'm learning from one body part and, and, and do it to another. So, um, I love, I love working with runners. Though. It's definitely probably my favorite population to work with. What type of, um, what, what's the sense, um, of, uh, the runners that you're working with in the community? Um, how do you feel like they're coping at the moment? Are, are people nervous about running outside? Are they, um, what's, what's their, what's the energy? What, how are they feeling today as you're, as you're working with some of these? Yeah, um, it's a very social sport. So it's tough to like not be able to run in a group uh, anymore. Um, mm -hmm. The high school kids that I work with um, are used to running at practice every day together. And that's just not a thing anymore. You know, it's a lot of social isolation, uh, which can be tough. Um, I th I've seen people like getting in groups of uh, two or so, which I think is totally fine. Um, but it's um, it's tough. It's like you had this goal in spring or maybe summer uh, that you were training for, and now that's not there. And it's really difficult to replace that with like a time trial or something. You know, that, that motivation is just not the same as it was. Um, so finding a way to build, um, some sort of community or some sort of accountability, uh, online is sort of where everyone's going. Um, and I think it's important. It's, uh, it's important to ma maintain connection, to maintain motivation. And, um, you know, that's the great thing about like Strava, you know, that's, that's the good thing about, uh, I think we're seeing like the, the, 
the good mm-hmm. side of social media come out right now, you know, like it's how it's supposed to be used um, by, by, by connecting with people and uh, sharing things. Um, yep. And so it, it's, uh, that's, that's a silver lining. Definitely. I, I like your, your optimism, your, um, that's, that's a positive outlook. Um, so, but, but um, what about, I, I mean, one thing that I've been trying to communicate with my athletes is, um, is really looking at this as an opportunity to focus. We've sort of cut back on volume with a lot of athletes. And um, so spend some more time doing, <clears throat> excuse me, doing strength, mobility, um, stuff you can do at home. What I love about your exercises is that they're they're practical and they're they're easy to do at home, right? You can be doing them in your living room. So um, we've been focused a lot on, you know, spend this time now. Like you've got you've got a lot of time at home. Yeah. Um, so focus on mm-hmm. on the strength and the mobility. And um, so talk about just some of the so some of the key exercises you you think um, are important. That, that people can be doing at home now. They, they obviously lost access to gyms. Right. And um, so now is a great time to, to focus on. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, going off of what you said, I think with the high school guys, they've lost their spring season. This is the case for almost everyone, but it's a good opportunity to cut the volume and kind of focus on some of more of those like fundamental building blocks, you know, like the neuromuscular speed or just like the slow, slow mileage, mm-hmm. you know, um, some of those like building blocks that you build off of when it comes time to building a, a training cycle. Um, so, you know, yep. I'm meeting with them tomorrow, uh, kind of going over like the state of the union, what we're, what we're going to be doing. And as I build out that training program, it's, everything's about consistency, right? So let's, let's keep people healthy. Let's start to tap into some of those like fringe adaptations, like, <clears throat> like neuromuscular speed and just neural recruitment. Um, because those, those are things that are, are tough to build. Um, but once you have them, it doesn't take as much to maintain them. Um, and so that's from a running piece, that's sort of yeah. what we'll be focusing on. Um, from a strength piece, um, I try to make things as efficient and as little as a burden as possible. Um, and one question that I get a lot is like, what's what should I be doing for a warm up? And if it's someone that I've been working with a lot, it'll often um, look a lot like what their strength program is, you know, because they're working on a certain area body part specifically for a reason, whether it's an injury or it's something that they're trying to build capacity in. Um, and so if you're warming up, the, the purpose of a warm up is to, to warm up those tissues, to increase neuro, neuromuscular activation, to get the heart rate up. Um, and so it should look a lot like the strength program that you're doing. And so um, if, if everybody, if someone's coming in with no aches or pains and they're just kind of, I want to warm up, then it's going to be a bit more of a generalist type warm up. Um, if someone's working on like a calf program, then the warm up should be a little bit more focused towards activating that calf complex, um, getting blood flow, warming up the tissue temperature. Um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing bicep curls for a running warm up, right? So it needs to be somewhat specific to what the person is, is doing and what they're working on, um, from a strength and rehab perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going into strength, like a lot of that is, is echoed there too, um, if you're working on something specifically, then that area probably needs a bit extra emphasis. Um, but if you're pain-free, injury-free, and kind of building a foundation, um, the running, all the running muscles are important. I think calf complex is is hugely important. So uh, calf raises, um, hopping, um, doing plyometrics, uh, quads are huge for patellar uh, issues. You know, patella tendon um, and just quads, quad step strength in general. Um, the, the hips are super important. You know, the hips control internal, external rotation and, and kind of the, the valgus collapse of the knee. Um, so just creating a really robust, stable pelvis is important. Um, glute meat is one of those glute max is another really important one. Um, but in hamstrings too, um, especially if you're going to be doing like hilly runs or really fast training, if you're, if you're more of that middle distance or, or speed focused runner, uh, hamstrings are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I've listed like five exercise groups already. I try not to make it too cumbersome and, and too, too right. overwhelming for folks. Um, cause at the end of the day, you want people to do it and, um, you want to find the between like, 
too much and like minimal effective dose, you know, you want, you want people to, to do it uh, and still get benefit from it. Um, and depends where they are in their, their training cycle. And I, I view strength training and we're kind of going down into the strength training hole, but, but um, strength training for performance um, if you want to be faster at running, you've got to start lifting like heavier weights, heavy, heavy weights. Um, but in order to get there, you need to build that foundation just like you would with running, right? You wouldn't go out and blast a, a 10 mile run really hard. You need yeah. to build up that requisite strength. You need to build up that uh, tissue capacity, the, the, the robustness of those tissues before you start, you know, loading really heavy weights. And by heavy weights, I mean, uh, like a hex bar or, or a barbell or like a heavy kettlebell step up and really work. Um, but eventually getting to the point where you are at like the six to eight rep range, maybe even a little lower. Um, and by mm. the end of that sixth rep or that eighth rep, you are like, okay, I could have done one, maybe two more. Uh, and so you're not getting that muscle burn, that lactic acid burn that you would with like these, um, longer duration, high repetition type exercises. What you're doing is tapping into the muscle, the central nervous system, and you're you're firing those hard to recruit fast twitch muscle fibers. Um, and when it when it comes to yeah. um, when it comes to calling upon your muscles, like at the end of the race, or um, muscle fibers cycle through uh, different fiber types, right, to maintain efficiency and, and reduce fatigue. Um, you go from one muscle motor unit to the other, and that's how our muscles avoid fatiguing. Um, so if you have the ability to recruit those muscles, um, you're going to delay fatigue for even longer. And so uh, being able to recruit those muscle fiber types through things like really fast hill sprinting or um, really heavy lifting through like a hex bar or, or a deadlift or a bench hip lift, um, that's when you're going to get the, a big bang for your buck there. Um, yeah. And you're going to be a stronger runner. You're going to be more, so more robust. Yeah, one of the well, one of the things I love that you said was about keeping the routine realistic um, based on the the time that people have. I mean, it's for most of um, recreational runners, it's you know they get their workouts in, they're tired, and they just have so much going on. Strength, ultimately, mobility is like the first thing that gets cut. Um, so keeping it, I mean, we where would you draw the line? I mean, you get some people that maybe go to a, a big class or um, they do a big strength workout once a week um, versus is it much better to have a routine that's like sort of a generalist routine, whether you're doing the calf raises, the, the hopping, the hamstring walkouts, things like that, where you might be doing them for 10, it might be 10, 15 minutes, but you're doing two, three, three times a week. Would you prefer to see something like that spread out over the week, very short duration versus, you know, hitting it hard once or twice a week every now and then? Yeah, I would. That's probably what I'd consider like a prehab type program. You know, you're stressing those tissues specifically and assuming that it's like enough dosage. Um, and it, it's just like running, right? If you, if you run three miles a day, eventually you're going to adapt to that. You're going to need to go longer to get faster uh, or faster to get faster. Um, same thing with strength training. Um, if you do the same routine, 15 minutes a day, um, you'll get stronger and your capacity might be robust enough to handle the, the workload you're doing running wise. Um, but you know, if, if you want to improve capacity, if you want to increase strength, you're going to have to Im improve that either by time or by external load. So, you know, throwing some kettlebells or some weights or a heavier band, um, in general, I think it's a great way to um, to just maintain that strength and protect against injury. And especially if you've had injuries in that area in the past and you're trying to kind of stave those off, um, doing a little strength work in that spot is going to be protective. It's going to be helpful. Um, yeah. And and so for and real quick, like the the prehab routine that you're talking about, when when is the ideal time to do it? So if you've got um, typical runner for us, someone who's doing maybe a hard quality session midweek, they're doing something longer or, um, and or quality on the weekend. Um, what's the best way to, to insert those into, into the week? Is it 
before a hard session, the net, the day following a hard session? What do you guys prefer? Yeah, um, this sort of comes down to energy systems. So like the long, long, slow run, you're working mm -hmm. a different energy system than you would if you're doing hill sprints, right? One is more anaerobic, one is more aerobic based. Um, same thing with strength training. So the, the prehab routine that we were talking about a little earlier is going to be more of that kind of aerobic, more endurance focused. Uh, something with a heavy hex bar is going to be more anaerobic, more centrally driven. Um, and so depending on, let's just use the, the sort of um, 15 minutes of prehab as, as an example. Um, that would be more of your aerobic focus. Mm -hmm. You can kind of just throw those throughout the week um, with a little less thought. Where you need to be more thoughtful is when you are lifting heavy. And when you lift heavy like that, it's a big tax to the central nervous system, to the brain specifically. Um, and if you compound too much of that taxing onto the central nervous system, it's uh, over time, it can lead to things like overtraining syndrome and fatigue. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it than just lifting and running. But, um, you know, you want to you want to be able to space out the energy systems throughout the week. So I generally try and hit one energy system per day. And so if someone is doing a hard anaerobic type work, um, I probably wouldn't, hard anaerobic type run, I probably wouldn't do a strength training session that day. You know, let that be the stress, let that be the stimulus. Um, and then have a recovery day following that. And then the next day might be an anaerobic lifting day. Um, and so you're sort of trying to space out through the, the period of a week or a period of 10 days or two weeks. Um, trying not to, you're trying to kind of balance between that anaerobic system, that aerobic system. You're trying to think about like that 80, 20 rule where 80% of your training should be relatively uh, light and anaerobic. Um, and uh, in general, like if you're going to go with an anaerobic type, harder workout, lifting workout, um, I think two times a week is sort of the sweet spot for runners. Um, you don't want to be doing that a ton because the focus again is like on running. Um, if you could do it one time a week, I think that's great. Um, and then supplement that with some of your more aerobic kind of strength building, uh, exercises. Got it. Got it. That's great. Um, well, let me step back here. I want to, on this show, we like to get into what, what <laughs> was the hook into running? What gotcha? And, um, and then I want to kind of step through progress from there. So we get a, a better sense of like how that experience over time has sort of informed um, your your look, uh, your outlook on you know PT and your profession and and working with runners. So um, I don't know if you can pull way back here and, and yeah. pull out um, what was the, what was the hook? What got you into the sport? What what from your yeah my first. Uh exposure to running was um this after school program in fifth grade i played like pretty much every sport growing up um but there was like an after school running group in fifth grade and it culminated um with the running of the indianapolis mini marathon which is a, a half marathon race um and so that was my first like exposure to like an organized proper race um and it was it was cool it was exciting it's like you're you're in this parade of people to see people with music and um, you run south to the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway where the Indy 500 is. You get to run across the brickyard. You do a lap there. Um, so it was, it was really exciting. Um, I finished, I ran the whole thing, which I was pumped about. Um, my parents are not runners and didn't know how long it would take me. So I finished like an hour before they even were there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they missed it. They, they missed, missed the whole it. thing. And so I'm like, way before cell phones, you know, so I'm like looking around like, hey, have you seen my mom? You know, um, <laughs> wow. um, that was my first exposure. Um, that was, you said, yeah, 50? whatever that is, like 11, 12. So, you, so you grew up in Indiana sports. I mean, just grew up with sports. You just naturally gravitated or it was just kind of, that was the, what the town yeah, was doing. Um, naturally gravitated. I, I remember playing, um, t-ball my dad was the coach along with my uncle and cousin um and just you know it's just sort of what i did it's what my friends did um and that just sort of evolved uh, over time I, I pretty much i even wrestled at one point you know so uh, me, me in a wrestling singlet yeah. um <laughs> soccer, soccer was like the main thing which i think probably yeah. is is why that that transition to running was was easy um i think like going back to the hook i think 
the hook was just like the immediate success I found in it. You know, once it got to middle school, once it got to high school, um, then I started hitting some times that were, um, you know, breaking records or impressive. Um, and then you start to sort of like extrapolate. You're like, okay, I'm here this year. I could be here this next, this next year. I could be here the year after. And, you know, maybe I could get close to that four minute mile mark, you know? And so you start to like, get, you start to get excited about oh, wow. this trajectory, you know? And we're so high high school that started that was when you started looking forward how yeah middle school go. eighth grade um that was like that was a that was a big like breakout and cool. um and high school followed high school was a ton of fun i'd say that's what got me into this yeah go ahead did you yeah yeah no, no, i'd say that's ahead. what sort of like got me in the door um but like the team uh, like the culture of cross country is what like kept me around, you know, and it, it's kept me doing what I'm still doing now. Um, if it was a sport and if it didn't have that like culture to it, um, it, I probably wouldn't still be doing it. So not just pure, like right. competitive nature, improving. It was also the culture, the team culture of the sport, the people in the sport did um, any positive influences that, that played a big role, whether a high school coach or any team. Yeah, totally. Teams. No, it, it started from the top. I had a really great um, support system there. And looking back, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have coaches and adults that were there that were passionate about the sport, weren't just doing it because they needed a, to fill a role. You know, they, they, they were really excited about not just um, the sport, but helping kind of guide young men uh, into becoming uh, adults. Um and, and so our, our head coach, uh, Coach Kent Graham, was the guy at the helm. He was coaching from the, the late 80s is when he started. Um, and he was sort of the rock of the team. He was sort of that like authority figure. And he was one that was, was someone that you wanted to run for, you know. Um, it wasn't all about like programming and, and running. Like he, he sort of incited that competitiveness um, and – was sort of the authority figure. And then underneath that was our assistant coach, uh, Coach Luce, who you probably never heard of, um, but he's actually probably one of the smartest dudes I know from running, uh, from as a running coach. And he, he actually coaches a few professional athletes now, a um, couple that are you know trying to make the trials, uh, were trying to make the trials in, in the steeple. Um, and so he's just, right. he's just kind of the savant of, of running. And that's really probably why I practice the way I do now, or, or at least have the approach that I do now. Um, he, he's the guy that was like, mm. you know, on the back of a napkin or on the back of a, a milk carton, like writing in the smallest, like pencil fonts, like to the hundredth of a mile and to like the thousandth of a second of how, how fast and how far you should be going for each rep, you know, um, to, to the point of concern, you know, you're like, this, this is too much. Um, but, he was into it. He was into it. He, was he like the math math? He was just like running. Was running was his thing. Like he just he loved it. He was he was a big Daniels guy. Um, so that's what that's what I grew up on. Um, was Daniels and um, you know at the time that the training was was influenced by by Jack and B dot or no? It was just kind of this. This is what he used. I did know that. Yeah, no, because he had um, the same book that I have now, and it was just it was earmarked and and um, sticky noted. Yeah, it was it was like torn to shreds. Um, he, was it like who was on the front cover? Was it I think it was Cole Pepper. Edition? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. That's second. That's the second edition. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So, so you get recruited from there. So clearly, it sounds like this guy um, had a huge impact, just his approach and and the way he influenced yeah. you. Um, to today yeah i mean he made me realize that uh, even though it's a team sport and there's team scoring like each person has to be uh treated as an individual you know and and it has to be a calculated approach Mm -hmm. um and you know having that sort of statistician behind you and and the other coach there you know gives you a lot of confidence when you're at the line you know you know that you have all the pieces in place and you you know you have a thoughtful training program that's that's made you strong and ready to compete um, so having that like background and, and, and confidence towing the line was, was really important. That's awesome. Um, so do you get recruited 
to Indiana or were you shooting to run at Indiana? You're an Indiana guy. Was that like a dream or how did that all? Yeah, I, I didn't really have any college loyalty uh, growing up. My grandparents are live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, so every spring break, would, we would go down to, to volunteer country to Knoxville. Um, and so I grew up a really big uh, UT Vols fan. Um, loved going to the football games, watching the football games. And yeah. Knoxville is just like a, a really fun city. Um, and so that was sort of my loyalty, I guess. Um, I actually was recruited um, and I, went, I ended up going to Miami of Ohio for my first year. Um, and yeah, so I started at Miami of Ohio ran there for a couple of years, studied exercise science, ended up transferring to Indiana halfway through my sophomore year, um, largely because of that sort of calculated approach that I was mentioning earlier. Um, I just felt like I wasn't getting that or it just wasn't as thoughtful. And, and maybe I was a little spoiled uh, coming from that high school experience. But um, I just knew that it needed to be, if I was going to get the most out of running, it needed to be a calculated approach. And Looking back on that as a 29-year-old, you know, I'm not sure making that big of a decision based on athletics when, you know, in all reality, I'm not going to be going to the Olympics, right? It's, um, I don't know if it was the right decision, but uh, looking back, I'm, I'm happy where I ended up. And, and a lot of my, I've maintained a lot of really great friendships from that first, that first Miami, Ohio experience. Um, and then I transferred to Indiana 20, 2011, and I actually because I transferred halfway through the semester, I ended up having to wait until that next fall to join the cross team. And I did that same mini marathon, Indianapolis mini marathon, uh, however many years later, like seven, six, seven years later, <laughs> a little faster this time. Um, uh, joined the cross country team there in the fall. Um, and I love Bloomington. Bloomington is such a cool place. I'll like sit here and uh, daydream of like the running trails there. I have like this mental map of all the routes and all the trails and all the roads, you know, and like New York's a great spot to run the park and, and all the river trails, but like being able to just to get lost in the woods for an hour, there's, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. I didn't, I've raced on the track there mm -hmm. at the university, but not, we didn't really get to run around much, but I definitely took advantage of the two nights um, yeah. in Bloomington while we were there. Um, that was fun but um so yeah I, I enjoyed i enjoyed that trip um so how overall the it would seem like a positive experience um yeah. in college and you, you you close out your running career in college and what are, what are your thoughts on the sport you you definitely want to stay in the sport you still have a pretty positive relationship and and when is the PT school schooling come into play at that point? Do you go? Yeah, you so I actually took a gap year, um, just sort of how things shook out. Uh, I worked at home for a year at a PT clinic before coming out to New York, uh, NYU. Um, when did that start, Blake? So you knew what did you study at Indiana? Is that yeah? That no, I feel fortunate in that um, PT had always sort of been the the goal or the idea. You know, at Thanksgiving when. Parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles would ask me what I want to do. That was sort of like originally that was my answer, just to kind of like you know get the get the attention off of me. Um, but but as I got more experience shadowing other clinicians, like it just really solidified that that's what I want to do. Um, and I, was, I had the opportunity to shadow some really cool people. Um, Bill Fabricini is a guy out in Aspen that does a lot of, um, he's, a, he's into a lot of sports, but he's a very, he's a good orthopedic clinician. Um, does, he works a lot with a ski team out there. Um, but I would, I would shadow with him and go all through the Aspen Valley to some of these like really awesome homes and meet some really crazy people. And, you know, from there, like he sort of taught me that it, PT doesn't have to fit this kind of nine to five khakis and polo type of environment. You can, you can go get your doctorate, um, mm. use your knowledge in a way that might be new or um, might be different. Um, but as long as you're like staying true to the mission and helping people, um, that's and, and using your brain, that's kind of the that's that's the goal. Uh, and that's that that's really what hit me hard. Uh, and that's why that's why I feel fortunate to be at Spoke. Actually, it's like they're really forward thinking and um, doing things how I how I feel they should be done. Um, so use your doctorate 
to a way that's going to help as many people as possible and do what you want to do. You know, go to work every day, enjoy what, enjoying what you're going to do. That's awesome. Um, so from there, you come, you go to yeah. NYU, right? And that's your um, link to to the city. And yeah, so 2014 sense, right? moved out, um, and running that during that time was kind of non-existent. Like during that three-year stretch of grad school, I'd get out every now and then to like take a break from the books, but um, I kind of wanted to find a new path, you know, I kind of wanted to just to like figure out what school was. And it's kind of funny, like my trajectory of seriousness in academics got stronger and stronger as I went through school, you know, so high school, I, I was a yep. decent student, got into college, college, I took it more seriously, but grad school was like, grad school was my sport. And so I sort of just dove into it. Um, I kind of just wanted a break from running, you know, I wanted a solid break. Um, and I didn't even consider like looking into what, um, what groups were out there or what the, what the running community was like. Um, and then three years later we get our degrees and graduate and all my friends that I was crammed in the class with every day go back home or they move across the country or, you know, even the ones in New York, I just don't see that often. Are certainly not at the same schedule and cadence that I did before. Um, and so all of a sudden I'm just like, all right, I need to go be social. I need to meet people. I need to make friends again. And it was a very easy, um, very easy thought just to go right back to running. Um, because the, the kids on my team in high school were just like some of the coolest people I met and from all different backgrounds and all different personalities and I knew that that was consistent, not just with high school running, but also with, you know, running here in the city. Um, and so I went to the, went to the Instagrams yeah. and uh, looked at, looked in to see what I could find, different, different crews, different clubs. And I was surprised, honestly, I was surprised how rich the city was with, with running. Um, yeah, there's so many to choose from. But, like, that's what I love about the Flyers is, like, you go there and it's just like, it's work hard. Uh, play hard. Everybody there is very open. Um, it's very in, individuals are celebrated, you know, and that's, that's what my experience was like in high school and college. And, you know, that's, that's what a running group should be. And so it, it's fun hanging around that crew. Um, and there's a couple other, I don't really have strong ties to, to one crew, but there's, there's a couple that I, that I do like to go to and um, they, all of them sort of have those qualities. Yeah. So, so did you, you wanted to stay in New York or was this a big part of it? Just the community that, that, um, you created just kind of diving back into, yeah. into running. Was that yeah, it's was definitely that become my friend group, my social group. Um, it's, it's made, it's made this city feel a bit smaller, you know? Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, running's always been there and I moved to New York and kind of made that like big decision. Um, I had never even been to New York City until I came to NYU for my interview. Um, so everything was new at first. Um, but, and I've stuck around because there's just so much to offer, you know. Um, there's so much here to learn. And I'm getting experiences here in New York City that I just wouldn't have back in the Midwest. Um, bespoke being one of them, you know. Um, trying to push the needle in one direction or you know, change perception, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff happens. That's why New York is New York, you know? Yep. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so what I want to close with here, um, is when you talk about programming, um, and load management, um, this is something that you, when we first met, you were kind enough to, um, to come in, I think we were doing yeah. design sessions for VDOT and you came in to give us feedback. And um, one of the cool things that you talked about was load management and and it was just such a great perspective. Um, it's definitely hopefully gonna make our platform better just kind of having that perspective now. Um, but I, I want you to talk about this because I think this is a big part of um, the way you, you coach, right? And also, yeah approach PT. Um, and so talk about what, what that means. Yeah, I guess kind of from a general perspective, um, when you're working with a client or with a runner, um, you're working with an individual that is not just a training program, right? Not just a strength program. 
um, you're working with someone that maybe has kids or maybe has a, a work stress or you know financial stress, whatever. Um, and then they also sleep and they also eat. And so all these are factors that go into someone's performance. Um, and it can go into, from a PT perspective, it can go to the perception of pain that they're having. Um, and so we'll just stick with the athletic perspective, but um, you, you create this really great running program, but you need to consider all these other factors as well. Um, so load management from kind of a programming perspective is, um, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not overloading this athlete. I want to make sure that I'm not doing too much volume too soon or too much intensity too soon. Um, you're sort of fitting that program to the person. Um, and then once you have that built, you need to start considering, okay, is this person going to sleep? Are they getting eight hours, seven hours of sleep a night, or are they getting three or four? That sort of changes um, how you're going to approach their training. Um, are they eating well enough? Are they eating quality food? Um, are they eating enough food? Um, what is their energy balance? Um, and then overall, like what are, what's their overall stress? Like what's their mental state? Um, are they constantly in this sort of ramped up sympathetic fight or flight mode or, or are they able to sort of dial that down and turn that off and, and manage stress well? Um, so it's good to start kind of with a blueprint of a template that you would like to get this person to achieve, um, you know, physical fitness, all things being equal, but all things are never equal um, because life is unpredictable. And there are really cool, like kind of quantitative ways to measure this through heart rate variability is one way. Um, but just from a, like a more general philosophy, load management is um, making sure that you are accounting for all the stressors that are going into that person's system and adjusting accordingly. Um, and it's, it's difficult to do. It's a lot more work for sure. Um, you're having to, and this, this is kind of going back to the beginning of our discussion where I'm talking about the importance of a, a good subjective interview where you're, you're talking with someone and, and listening to someone. Um, and you're sort of, you're sort of making notes of all these different puzzle pieces that come together that, that fit into performance. Um, and so you can get granular with it. HRV is one of those methods, as long as it's consistent and reliable. Um, it's one of those pieces of the puzzle that can help inform decisions. It shouldn't be like, oh, your HRV or, you know, whoop is another big one. Um, your, your stress score or your recovery score is this today. We're not doing any, we're not doing this workout now. Um, you need to be able to consider and you need to be a bit more flexible. Mm. Um, you need to consider other, other variables of training. And, you know, there's, there's points of training where you do want to overreach a little bit. You do want to kind of push the gas and, and you do want to go into that kind of, um, you know, Paris or sympathetic state. Um, as long as things are controlled and you kind of have you and your athlete both have an understanding of that, that's what you're trying to elicit. Um, there's a, there's a time and place for that. How much do you feel like repetitive stress injuries are probably like traced back to, obviously there's, there's biomechanics, right. But, um, issues, but I'm, I'm thinking yeah. like how little people sleep these days. Right. So, they go into their next hard workout. They haven't really recovered. And then they're out there running yeah. bad mechanics, right? Because they're tired. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's any data or if you have any any sense no, for it, that, it, but it. I'm just curious. Like, I, I just wonder, like, how 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 much can you attribute it just to yeah it's tough to like patterns, parse know? these things out and quantify, but like absolutely, you know, if someone for, for a couple of reasons, if someone's not sleeping and they're not getting into those cycles of sleep where recovery happens um, and it's not quality sleep, you know, if someone is drinking coffee or someone's drinking alcohol or has some sort of drug before they sleep, it's going to uh, affect the, the quality of the sleep that they're getting. And I don't know a ton about sleep science, but um, quality sleep is important, right? So having a um, cool environment, having a dark environment void of any sound um, and making sure that you're like putting away the the phones and technology beforehand. Um, something that I've gotten into is the Calm app or like the Headspace app is another one. Um, and just doing that before bed to sort of just ramp things down a little bit and and kind of get into that restorative state. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So do that, do that before, not to put you to sleep, but basically yeah. 
Yeah, and I think there's studies on like people who, you know, watch Netflix or are on their phone or on social media right before they go to bed. They might fall asleep, but I don't think the quality is quite as high as if you were to be in a more like reading a book, say, or um, like meditating before bed. I could be wrong, but I think that's the case. Um, but yeah, like from a from a peripheral standpoint, you might not you might be hindering your ability to recover. Um, so if you are battling an injury or you're on the brink of kind of that overuse threshold, um, yeah, then then if you are impairing your body's ability to recover and repair, um, that's a problem. Um, and then from like a, especially if it's a chronic injury, something that or something that you've had in the past, um, things like sleep deprivation or um, they they can kind of bring those those chronic issues back to light. Um, so if someone is more stressed. The metaphor that, that, that is used a lot in the PT sphere is like you've got this cup, you know, this this mug, and that, that mug is your capacity. And you've got all these stresses going into it, um, stress being your physical stress, your training workload, the, the workout that your coach gave you, but also, you know, everything we talked about, social stress, financial stress, work stress, nutritional stress, um, and sleep stress. And if that cup overflows, then 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 that you're you're more prone to injury, um, and you either need to decrease the what's going into the cup, you need to decrease that stress, or you need to build a bigger cup. You need to build a more robust system, and it's always that balance between two, and that's kind of what load management is in a nutshell. It's that balance between building a, a strong vessel and and managing the load that's going into the vessel, and making sure that we're not overflowing it. That's great. Um, so the lesson I'm taking here is don't read Twitter right That's before right. you fall, try and go to sleep. Yeah. Listen to this don't read the coronavirus and, uh, yeah. Trending. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially with the VDOT challenge coming up, man. So, um, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. I hope that this blows over as soon as possible. It's, it's, um, this has been totally surreal. Um, so I don't know when I'll yeah, see you again, hopefully soon. Um, but I, hopefully I see you, um, I'll, I'll challenge you in our new virtual racing, um, feature. This, this will be, um, out by the time we air this episode, but we've got, um, this new virtual racing feature on VDOT coming up. Um, so I'm excited. Maybe we can connect uh, that way in the meantime before we get to, yeah, uh, absolutely. Sounds great. Yeah.